0: Welcome to We Hack Purple Podcast, where each week, month, a few months in a row, we talk with someone from information security and they tell us all about their job, what they do, trends we see, etc. And this season, season three, is all about application security, which no one is surprised about, because I'm Tanya Jenka, I'm your host, and I'm completely obsessed with AppSec. This episode, just like most of our episodes for quite a while, are sponsored by Bright Security. With me today, I have Gemma Moore. Welcome, Gemma. Hi, Tanya. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for agreeing to be on. This is awesome. We were introduced by this lovely person named Rachel. And so I was really excited uh, when you said yes to be on the show. Um, could you tell the audience a bit about yourself? Because if I do it, I won't do as good of a job. <laughs> no problem. Um, so
1: my name is Gemma Moore. I'm a director of the information security consultancy Cybris. Um, I've been a penetration tester, for, well, for longer than I care to remember. So about 20 years now. Um, and probably for mm, the last sort of two thirds of that time, I've developed a very keen interest in red teaming. Um, and that's, I, I guess, one of the really interesting areas or growth areas in pen testing is red teaming so uh, you know i've got a very technical background i've been working in application penetration testing infrastructure penetration testing red teaming all sorts for
0: well longer than i care to think <laughs> <laughs> um, so audience members you can you can totally tell why i want to have Gemma on um, <laughs> so could you So for our audience members, so most of them work in application security or information security, but not all of them. And some of them are quite new to the cybers. Is there a chance you could define what red teaming is? Um, And then maybe we could talk about the difference between pen testing and red teaming because they're not the same. That's why there's two different names for them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the problem, one of the big problems we have in sort of offensive security actually is the terminology we use because it means different things to different people. Um, so when I say this is what pen testing is, or this is what red teaming is, someone is going to disagree with me probably quite vociferously. And that's okay because <laughs> we haven't really got good definitions. But generally, when we're talking about pen testing or penetration testing, we're talking about taking some sort of defined scope. It might be an application you've developed or a piece of infrastructure or a network. And we're trying to go through the technology and we're trying to find all the vulnerabilities we can in the technology that might lead to some sort of compromise of confidentiality or integrity or availability. And we're trying to—we're using a very defined methodology, trying to get full coverage, trying to find all the things that might be wrong in that defined scope. And red teaming is a bit different because we go outside of technology. So with red teaming, we're not talking about um, sort of attacking a defined scope. We're talking about a whole organization or a whole business and putting ourselves in the shoes of the attacker and trying to attack that business exactly the same way an attack would. So we define ourselves an objective to get to, which is it's not going to be, you know, find all the vulnerabilities in this network. It's going to be, you know, retrieve a record from this particular customer database. You know, that's your objective. That's the thing you're trying to do. Mm. And you are involving people. You're involving process. You're also involving technology, but you're basically going further than technology and you're trying to draw an attack path from an initial point acting like the adversary it's normally like an external criminal gang or it might be you know a nation state threat actor or it might be you know a malicious insider and you're trying to join up all the dots to draw an attack path that gets you to your objective at the same time evading the detect and response capability that you're going up against so you know it all comes from sort of military jargon and the red team and the blue team in military exercise and it's still got this kind of you know competition aspect to it because we're normally working against the blue team and trying to evade them but because there's so many different aspects it's really very different to pen testing in the way you approach it
0: yeah I I agree completely and also yep sounds very military um yeah.
1: Uh, I don't know if that I don't know if that's encouraging or if that puts people yeah. off, but.
0: <laughs> so I feel like there's different risks in pen testing versus red teaming. What do you think? Uh, undoubtedly, that is true. So um,
1: penetration testing, because you're within a defined scope, you can pretty much isolate where your area of influence is while you're doing a penetration test, and you can do that really easily. So. Yes, there's always risks when you do a penetration test that, you know, you might find a really fragile old server and you might scan that fragile old server and it might fall over. Or there might be an undocumented feature in an application that might delete all the content when you spider it. I mean, that sounds ridiculous, but it has happened. And, you know, how can you predict these things happen? Things happen. Um, But with red teaming, um, it's a lot harder to actually put the boundaries in place around where your risks are because inherently it is a more risky activity. So uh, if you think about when you're um, attacking an organisation as an adversary, what you normally start with is sending somebody a piece of malware or trying to get malware a foothold into an organisation either by emailing them malware or getting them to visit a website and installing it that way or sending them something physical they plug into their machine or, you know, stealing their credentials. You're you're looking to gain some sort of execution on their machine. But if you think about the ways that we as an adversary can sort of simulate that, normally we're sending someone a link through some route or sending them an email. But if you think about email just as a Good example. Well, if I send you an email, Tanya, you can forward it on to anyone else in the world. Yeah. And if I've put malware in that email that I forwarded you and you send it on to, I don't know, your mate down the road, well, suddenly the malware that I meant for you is now with your mate down the road. He might work for another company, have a completely different oh. laptop. Yeah. you've lost control of the thing, the implant, your piece of malware. Now, your criminals don't care. We have to. So, you know, we need to make sure that if we send you malware, it can only run for you and, you know, it will only run on your systems at the right time with the right permissions. A whole bunch of risk management around there. And that's just getting a foothold in the first place. Another problem that you have is that you can't necessarily, if you if you're looking to run a red team, so that you can assess how well your um, other teams detect and respond to things, you can't tell them about it. So you've got this risk of escalation and you need to work out, okay, how high, if if someone detects an attack going on, how high up our command tree inside our organization? Do we let this go before we go, okay, guys, it was an exercise, it's okay, it's not actually an attack? Because if you get that wrong, you can waste, so much money with you know, lawyers, meetings with regulators, um, all sorts of contracts. So even contracts. So if you've got, for example, detect and response capability managed by an outsourced service provider, um, if they are charging you every time they are doing some sort of out-of-hours investigation and they see an alert out of hours. You have to weigh up how much money am I willing to spend to work out whether they can respond to this because it's going to cost you to test that because they're going to charge you for it, obviously. So all these sorts of things, you don't have to think about this in a pen test, but you've really got to think about it when you're doing a red team. And that makes managing a red team exercise complicated, but also incredibly good fun.
0: I I never even thought of most of those things. I have a friend who's a very, very tiny woman And she did a physical pen test and she got arrested she showed them her get out of jail card (laughs) they were like we don't care that you have some stupid letter everyone owns a printer and so she sent me a picture of her in the back of a police car she's like this is how my day's going how's your day going
1: yeah that's another one that i didn't mention but yeah you know we always have a get out of jail letter but really we we never wanted to get to the point where the police are called but you know things can go wrong like that you know I I heard a story it's anecdotal I don't know how true it is but someone who um, was in a store after hours having managed to socially engineer their way in and nearly got shot
0: (laughs) this was in America but you know (laughs) things can go wrong you got to be careful I can't imagine something going more wrong than that getting shot pretty <laughs> terrifying i enjoy my I mean, everyone
1: hours. everyone was fine but you know there's
0: there's there's consequences to these things yeah so so when someone hires you to do a red teaming exercise like what problem are they trying to solve like what are why a red team exercise? so many
1: different reasons and that's also why it's so much fun And I'll, I'll get a bit excited because i really like what i do but <laughs> there's uh, so many different things that you can do with red teaming. And um, one of the things, if you want to buy a red team, if you want to run a red team, it's really important to know actually what is the problem you're trying to solve or what is the question you want answering. And if you think about what you want answering, that's when you get good value. So, um, you know, sometimes I've noticed in recent years you might get a customer who. Wants to run a red team exercise because everyone else in their industry is doing it, but they don't exactly, they haven't really thought about what questions they want answered. And if you go into it thinking, I've got to do this thing, but you don't know why, you're not going to get out of it what you want to get out of it. But there's so many things red teaming can do to you. So um, one of the really important things is validating controls. So companies can spend millions, literally millions and millions, on controls that are designed to either prevent compromise happening or detect a compromise or isolate systems. you know, this this detecting and responding automatically. But they actually have very few ways of validating whether the money they spent on the controls is actually protecting them like they think it is. Red team, you can go up against those controls, you can see where are the gaps. You know, are is this thing that we're paying millions for actually protecting us like we think it is? You know, are there things we haven't thought about? Is there a way into our network that we've not protected at all because we haven't spent the money on it? You know, are there assumptions that we've made that are completely incorrect? Um, and it can be really helpful for your detection and response team So one of the things we come up against over and over again is that the most effective way I mean I think um, this is opinion now entirely opinion most effective way to train um responders I think is to educate them in the attacker mindset if your responders know how attackers work and how they think they're much better at chasing us down finding us stopping us from taking the next step because as soon as they see us take the first two steps they know where we're going to try and go next Um, And if you run a a red team against your blue team, and, and this is the important bit, properly debrief your blue team at the end, That's really important. Um, You can teach them what we did and why we did it and how we thought that way. And then they can start thinking that way themselves. And then they start joining up the dots between different systems and different attack chains. And, you know, they will stop doing things like, um, what have I seen in the past? You know, you've got an AV product. It gives you an alert for malware. The AV product puts in a notification in the logging platform that says, we found um, a piece of malware, but we've removed it, we've isolated it, it's okay. Quite often, that kind of alert, if you're not thinking like an attacker, you just tick it off and go, we've resolved that. We don't need to worry about that anymore. It's been removed. The threat is not the piece of software. It's not the piece of malware. It's the person that put it there. And If you find that, it's like, all right, well, what did they do next? You know, what was their next file that they put up there in the application or whatever it was? What did that one do? And they haven't thought, oh, well, that one didn't trigger AV. It's like, okay, well, the second one didn't trigger AV. What is that file doing? Why why is it there? You know, it's that the threat's not the technology. The threat is the individual. And it's that bringing it out from these individual alerts on your your tech to – what is this person doing and why? So there's so many different things that you can do with Red Team. Investment as well. Sorry, Tanya, you're gonna to have to tell me to shut up because I no, will just awesome. keep going. I just I never thought
0: about that. I, I've had people try to spearfish me before and we catch this, we fit, we're like, oh, this is a spearfish. So we deleted it and inform the staff not to answer, but it never occurred to me. So there's someone that sent you a spearfish and spent all that time making a custom thing for your yeah. company. Uh, maybe you should figure out who sent it. That like yeah. it seems so obvious when you explain.
1: Just just because you got rid of that one instance doesn't mean you've addressed the threat because the threat is that human being, yeah, or gang or whatever it is. And and you know uh, another really good thing that you can do with red teaming that other people might not think about is um trying to work out where best to spend your money as a business to get the best protection. You know, there's so many competing products out there, so many competing controls you can. You can invest in. And as security professionals, we want to stay there and go buy the lot, get everything. You know, but that's not necessarily realistic when you've got a finite budget. But if you yeah. do red teaming right, you can work out basically where is your squishy underbelly? What is the bit we really need to protect the most? You know, what 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 do we need to put in place that's most important right now to get us the most security benefit? Understanding, of course, there's always going to be a way to do things, but you know What's the low-hanging fruit we've got to protect? And Red Teaming can help you answer all sorts of questions like that. It's really great fun.
0: So, so the thing that I've heard people say a lot is like they'll blame the user and they'll do phishing exercises and and trick their employees. And I have a lot of feels about this. And you and I were talking about it a bit before. Like, why do we blame the user so much?
1: Oh, it's so lazy, Tanya. Can't blame the users. Blaming users is just a really lazy way to go about things. Like, if your whole security structure falls down because one person does something they shouldn't do, you have failed as a cybersecurity professional. You just have. Um, We can't rely on users. and Blaming them is terrible. Um, I think the most dangerous thing any business can have is a blame culture for this stuff mm-hmm. um there's there's two realities or there's two, there's two certainties that we need to understand um mm-hmm. one is if you punish people for saying when they've done something wrong people won't say when they've done something wrong that's <laughs> obvious yeah and two if someone is determined enough a criminal is determined enough they will be able to convince a user to do a thing they shouldn't do we're all human like if a phishing attack is good enough i will fall for it you will fall for it if someone is determined they will do it um and i don't think it's reasonable to expect users to be able to distinguish between a an attack by a determined adversary and you know real interactions with other human beings it's just not reasonable um you can train users to detect you know the most obvious phishing scams and consent phishing and you can train them to you know read the email address and ask questions about whether they're being pressured and you can do all that and it's great stuff to do but an adversary probably only needs to convince one person to do one thing to get at their foothold and then you know your whole house of cards comes tumbling down yeah and um the most successful cultures um, really encourage reporting. They don't blame people for falling victim to social engineering. You know, they're not going to name and shame people for being human. Um, you know, the only the only indication you might have as a defender, if you've got an adversary who's really sophisticated, if they know what they're doing, if they've done their research, if they tried before, if they've got, you know, two-way interaction going, they've got a proper conversation with their target, the only... The only information that you might get that something is amiss might be that user going home, mulling it over, thinking about it, going... I don't feel quite right about whatever this conversation was, or I feel a bit funny about the thing that happened last week. I might want to talk about, I should probably talk about this. And then, you know, they'll talk to their line manager or they'll talk to you as a security team and say, this thing happened and I don't quite know. I think I thought it was fine at the time, but I don't know if I did the right thing. That might be the only indication you get. might be your only chance to detect that something has happened. Um and if you make people scared to report stuff.
0: You just you're just on a loser. Yeah, yeah. I I feel so um I teach secure coding training a lot. And the last half hour of the day is always if you see something, say something, your security team will never be angry with you. If you report five things and four of them end up being false positives, but like you were honestly report but then the fifth one that you reported you could have been the person that saved thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands or even millions you could be the person that stopped that attack
1: that's exactly it um and you know you can't underestimate as well um yeah how how emotional people get when they feel they've done something wrong that's another thing we have to be really mindful of when we're doing this you know we've got to be really careful about people's feelings that's not naturally something you do in cyber security. But if you're running phishing or something, you can really upset people if you cause them to do something Then they find out they've been manipulated, which is basically, let's face it, being lied to. Nobody likes that. And if you're doing that on behalf of their employer, it's even less savoury. And then, you know, if you wanted a malicious insider, well, that's how you get a malicious insider. I mean, it's... <laughs> it's um, it's a, it's a real minefield when you get right down into the weeds of it. But again, yeah. it's a fun one.
0: No, I agree with you so much. I, so I have another question because mm. you know, as I can, um, so red teaming and penetration testing, like over time it's been changing, right? Like back in the day when you started, it's very different to now. Can you like tell us maybe a bit about how it's changed or changing? It's so different. I mean, it's
1: in some ways it's come full circle because 20 years ago when we did a penetration test, methodologies for penetration testing were much less mature. So a penetration test 20 years ago probably more closely resembles what a red team is today for an organization because you used to sort of, I, I can't even explain exactly what we used to do because it was so different from today. But you know, you'd rock up and you'd do some scanning and you'd find some stuff wrong and you'd go boom, boom, boom and we got domain admin and then we left and we came back next year and we did it again and it was like okay and that's what we did and you know that we weren't following i mean we- we were trying to follow methodologies, but the methodologies were much less mature and it was all infrastructure. And we were still interested in, you know, perimeter firewall configuration and all this sort of stuff because we still found, you know, ways into internal networks directly from the internet, which you tend not to find these days. It's still possible, but, you know, people know about firewalls these days, maybe 20 years ago. They didn't know about firewalls the same way. But the really interesting thing about how all of it is changing It's basically infrastructure, and the pandemic has changed this completely as well. Infrastructure has completely changed. Infrastructure these days, if you're building something new, if you're doing zero trust, it's not really a thing anymore. People aren't buying tin. So if you think about um, a business that's building a new function, new application function these days, what they're probably doing is bolting together a whole bunch of software as a service services through federation routes and API interactions and all sorts of different components bolted together to do a thing that's got a front end on it. Um, and they don't have any service. You know, they don't have a network. It's all API tokens and, you know, infrastructure is now applications. You know? Yes. And infrastructure is code. Like, um, you know, you never used to have code that built you infrastructure. I mean, you'd have scripts and things that bolted stuff together and you'd have automation and cron jobs and all sorts of stuff. But now we have infrastructure as code and we have application security principles in infrastructure and all the application security stuff now is part of how you actually build a network, a a piece of infrastructure, a service effectively. So it's all gone massively into this sort of um, application space, if you like. Yeah. Um, but the infrastructure principles are still important because under the covers, obviously, it's all still there because we say it's in the cloud, but the cloud is tin. It's just whose tin is it? It's not yours anymore. Yeah. And that prevents you with a whole bunch of problems, Tanya, because authority. Who can grant you authority to do stuff when your thing that you're trying to do stuff against is a bunch of software as a service platforms? There, that is Now, I'm, saying, I'm asking you the question.
0: I, there's no good answer to it. Oh, yeah. Generally, like clients ask me about that a lot. And I'm like, I'm not a pen tester. I'm an AppSec person. You don't want me to scope your pen test. But I'm like, <laughs> you need permission. If you're going to test a third party thing, like if it's a SaaS product, it's not yours. You have yeah. to ask permission. And a lot of them are going to say no. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's the thing. And that's your problem if you're trying to
1: do a red team or a pen test against, um, you know, these massively federated bolted together components you need permission from every single one every single one has got different terms of service may well be in different jurisdictions so you know, you've got other legal issues to deal with there in terms of what is the law where this thing is based, you know, and data handling as well. And where where is the personal data? Which jurisdiction is it in? What are the regulations that apply? What can you do? What can't you do? It is horrendously complicated such that, you know, when you've got some, one of these to test, probably your scoping process is as long, if not more, longer than the actual penetration test, because you need to get all of those
0: things right before you can do any testing of it. Yes. And your company does more than just pen testing, right? So like when you go in, you're not just like, this is how I I will smash your stuff. But also you could probably offer advice on like, here to here is not secure. This is what you could do. And yeah, yeah.
1: So we do we do penetration testing. We do um, red teaming and all the outputs from that. Um, we, we do sort of vulnerability assessment as well. So we're down the other end where you've got sort of automated continuous vulnerability assessment and things like that. And we also help with sort of instant response and, and stuff like that. So, you know, we really help solve our customers' problems. You know, we're vendor independent, so we don't recommend particular products and things like that. We work with everything. But... You know the problems are the same and the application of the principles is the same and really what we're always trying to do is get our customers to a point where they are more secure with us than they are without us which i think is what we all try and do in this industry isn't it
0: yes oh my gosh Emma, that's yes Fez that our main goal <laughs> sometimes i'll talk with companies and they're like well we need to have zero risk and i'm like that's so that-? not a thing
1: that's not Turn, thing, turn like, everything off. Go live in a cave. That's your yeah. zero risk.
0: Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, let's talk about what risk is okay for your company. Like you don't want to spend a million dollars protecting something that has a value of $100,000. Right. Exactly. So uh, unless like human lives are uh, involved, but most of yeah. the time it's not.
1: You've got to know how much risk you can tolerate and how much money you're prepared to reduce it and how much risk you actually want to take because risk and reward kind of go hand in hand. You know, if you don't have any, if you don't take any risk, you know, you you don't grow your business, but it's which risks is it worth taking and which risks is it just not worth taking?
0: There's always risk. I could have you on for like 10 hours and not get bored. This is so awesome. (laughs) Gemma, Gemma, we've run out of time. My little timer's like, yo, wrap it up, Tanya, stop chatting. I'm so bad at this. Oh my gosh, you're incredible. Gemma, how can people learn more about you? Like, do you perhaps have a blog?
1: yeah so we have uh, a blog on our website which is cybers.com slash blog i write there quite often normally about red teaming and normally as verbosely as i'm talking to you so you know there's some quite long articles there you can read um they're all good fun Um, and you can find me on linkedin as
0: well awesome yeah i'm already sending you a connection request like right now (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much Gemma. To everyone listening, thank you to Bright Security for being our sponsor. Thank you so much to Cybers for letting us have Gemma on our show. That's awesome. And um, I will see all of you in the next episode, which the subject matter is a secret because it is a surprise, so I'm not telling. Um, But oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Gemma, thank you. This was so great. I learned a lot. Thank you, Tanya. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. I really appreciate it. Awesome.